for our first GMS-focused topic to start off the week, we turn to the Japanese Prime Minister's last stop in a tour of the G7 industrial powers. Fumio Kishida met with his U.S. counterpart Joe Biden at the start of the weekend. He seeks to bolster long-standing alliances. Now, among top of the agenda was, of course, discussing regional security threats from China, North Korea, and Russia. What came out of the summit held in Washington? For a closer look, we connect with Professor Kim Byung-ju of the Hankook University of Foreign Studies. Good morning, Professor Kim. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. So Japanese Prime Minister uh, Kishida was in Washington this past Friday through Saturday. And of course, a main part of his visit was the summit with President Biden. For us, the Korean audience, what would be the most important points to note at the summit? Arguably, this was one of these, uh, um, you know, some of the most important summits of the different foreign nations, heads of the nations, that uh, has big implication for Korea for sure, because this is this was a summit between United States and Japan. And talking about Prime Minister Kishida Fumio's uh, overall schedule, uh, one thing we should keep in mind is that uh, this was part of his G7. Uh, chairing uh, authority kind of being exercised. Japan is chairing the G7 uh, mm-hmm. this year, mm-hmm. and it's taking place in May in Hiroshima. Mm-hmm. And as a part of uh, you know this whole schedule of uh, hosting G7, uh, Prime Minister uh, Kishida uh, went through five of the G7 nations uh, within one week last week. There was a tough schedule. Uh, He was in Paris meeting Macron on Monday, and then uh, he was meeting uh, Prime Minister Meloni of Italy on Tuesday, Mm. and then uh, Prime Minister Sunet of UK on Wednesday, and Prime Minister uh, Trudeau of Canada uh, in Ottawa in Thursday, and then finally uh, he touched down in Washington uh, Friday, and then he was there until Sunday. So it was a really interesting, uh, you know, a very, very demanding uh, schedule for on his side. Mm-hmm. But, of course, our focus was on the summit between uh, Biden and the Prime Minister himself. And uh, here, a lot of different things uh, talked about, but the one that caught our attention the most, and also the world's attention most, is... United States determination to help Japan to strengthen its military. Uh, Japan uh, took several actions towards the end of last year mm. to uh, boost up its uh, military capability, defense capability, and so on. Mm. And the United States this time showed a strong support uh, for that, uh, highlighting the, the need for it. Together with that, uh, you know, supporting Japan's own effort to boost up its defense capability. Together with that, also, uh, President Biden made it very clear of United States' commitment for defending, defending Japan. You know, this issue has been around here in this part of the region for quite some time. For Korea, we have the same concern. United States is defending uh, South Korea. Um, you know, question has been always about the level of its commitment. And same thing for Japan. Japan has been uh, questioning the the, the level of commitment on the United States side. And in response to that, United States, uh, President Biden said that they're going to defend Japan all the way. Mm. 
in, uh, even uh, you know if it's necessary to uh, by using nuclear weapons and something new this time was you know the Senkaku Island mm. the the islets that yeah. are in dispute with uh, China uh, currently controlled by Japan sort of like a reverse side of Tokyo I suppose right, between right. Japan and Korea uh, Korea controls Tokyo Japan is raising an issue. Japan is controlling Senkaku, and then, and then China is raising an issue. The uh, United States said it's going to defend Senkaku. It's going to help Japan defend Senkaku as mm-hmm. well. Uh, used to be the United States uh, maintained kind of a neutral balance, mm-hmm. relatively neutral balance on this uh, territory dispute between China and Japan, but this time they made it very, very clear. So that was something to note. Okay. And also uh, Biden talked about not surprisingly, Taiwan, Ukraine, mm-hmm. Biden and Kishida talking about Taiwan, Ukraine. And, uh, of course, uh, as I said, in addition to United States' determination to help Japan beef up its defense capability, uh, that's one point to note for Korea. But another point to note, of course, no surprise is that the two heads of the states, Japan and the United States, mm-hmm. they emphasize the importance of trilateral cooperation, security cooperation. Mm-hmm. So... Washington and Tokyo. So those are really important points to note uh, from the summit this time. Okay, given the nature of these summits, I mean, they cover such a wide range of issues. I want to see what experts make out of these points made. What do you see behind these announced points? And I guess adding on to it, what are the main factors driving these coordination and cooperation dynamics? Yeah, obviously something we know is this is a whole new environment. Right. Uh, um, you know, we've been talking about the beginning of new Cold War, if you will, world being divided, mm. um, you know, into two different camps. One is the the, the world of democracies, mm. where people choose their governments. And on the other hand, the, the world of non-democracies, where the uh, leadership of the countries, they try to stay in power mm. uh, for a long time. And in doing so, even doing things to make it necessary for them to stay in power. I mean, they could create intentions, uh, acting aggressively, mm. you know, to create, uh, you know, situations outside so that people will continue to support them. People will continue to support their causes of staying power, uh, their being in office forever. So uh, those, those two different worlds being created once again, kind of history being reported and repeated and all that. So this is a whole new situation we are facing. And, and uh, that is what's driving behind all these different things. And mm. uh, we were talking about Japan and the United States becoming very, very close allies. And then we saw, uh, I guess it was last Wednesday, before several days before the summit, a 2 plus 2 meeting taking place. And when we say 2 plus 2, we usually these days, within the context of diplomacy and national security, we're talking about the, the meetings of uh, the ministers of uh, foreign affairs, foreign mm-hmm. affairs minister, and then defense minister mm-hmm. of two countries meeting together. So this, this time, of course, on the U.S. side, uh, Secretary of State and Secretary of Defense, mm-hmm. and then uh, Japan, uh, Japanese side, uh, their counterparts meeting together uh, in Washington. So mm-hmm. there, uh, these four uh, ministerial level leaders were talking about Japan's revision that took place uh, last year, uh, mid-December last year, and then which I guess means uh, just a month ago, I suppose. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, time, time changes. It's January, I guess. Yeah. Anyway. So, 
So they are talking about uh, you know supporting Japan's move to revise their three key defense documents: national security strategy, right. national defense strategy, and uh, defense build-up uh, plan. So uh, they were expressing support, and then also, uh, you know, this minister's meeting and also the summit meeting on Friday, uh, the strong words were used to support the idea of Japan-U.S. cooperating, uh, not just on the land, in the air, but also in the, the, the you know, the, what do you call it, the, the space, mm-hmm. space cooperation. Right, right. Uh, and this means, this has a lot of implications for advanced weaponry and, and all that. But so all these things were happening, you know, with the new Cold War as a background and then and the extent of which includes all the way to the aerospace cooperation. I mean, given the historical disputes, I've got to say Seoul-Tokyo ties has been strained to say the least, but it seems that Prime Minister Kishida seems to have shown a more forthcoming posture towards the issue of revitalizing those ties. What is your observation, Professor Kim, on the Japanese Prime Minister's stance? I am convinced that if anyone among Japanese political leaders, Kishida is the one who wants to fix the situation the most. Why? Because he is the one who actually uh, led the effort Mm. to produce 2015 uh, Korea-Japan agreement Mm. between Abe government and then Takane government. Mm. Uh, He was the foreign minister at that time Mm. of Japan, and Abe was hesitant because Abe was mindful of, you know, these, uh, these Japanese conservative politicians who are relatively speaking anti-Korean, uh, who are very against the, uh, you know, g- kind of, uh, what do you call it, uh, you know, the, the embracing gesture towards Korea and so on. So Abe was very hesitant, but but Kishida is the one who convinced Abe mm. and to, to take bold steps and to stick his neck out mm. and then agree on the 2015 agreement. But the thing is, it all fell apart right. after Moon Jae-in government came in and, and rejected and denied the agreement. So uh, w- one could say he's one of the biggest victims of the collapse of 2015 agreement. But at the same time, if we see beyond that, he's the one, he's the main architect behind 2015 agreement, and he has attachment to it. And he's the one who really understands uh, Japan-Korea relations and the need for cooperation and so on. Only problem is he's not Abe. Mm-hmm. Abe had a stronger control over even influence over conservative faction mm-hmm. among Japanese politicians, but mm-hmm. Kishida is much weaker. So mm-hmm. uh, he has strong will to make things better, but but his ground is weaker. But this time in, in Washington, he made it clear uh, not once, but twice and even more that he really wants to uh, fix these problems and take fast step forward. So uh, that was nothing surprising, but then again, encouraging signs coming from Japan's prime minister. Professor Kim, as you alluded to earlier, Kishida's government unveiled that new national security strategy last December, and it seems Japan seems to be taking fast steps towards strengthening its own military under Kishida, of course, following the hawkish legacy of Shinzo Abe. Uh, on this regard, Korea, of course, has mixed feelings, to say the least. Yeah, indeed. Uh, you know, the, as Japan was coming this way uh, in Korea here, of course, we have had uh, different 
views, mm. uh, different factions, different uh, groups. I mean, you know, two groups being divided, largely speaking, mm. uh, you know, talking about different stands of Korea here. But uh, to, to have better understanding about division or in, even in order to address the, the division inside Korea, I think we need to understand some of the important key facts. What Japan did uh, and Japan took pain, Kishida's government took pain to emphasize was that uh, what they did uh, last month was not about preemptive strike. It's not like Japan declaring its will to obtain capability to attack other countries mm. uh, before other countries take an action. Mm. No, that's that's not it, they're saying. Mm. And uh, the, the action last month was about the, the counterattack. Right. When they're being attacked or when they are attacked, when they have been attacked, then Japan wants to build capability to counterattack in, mm. in response. And that's that's why they revised um, a month ago, uh, December 16th, they, as I mentioned, national security strategy, mm. national defense strategy, mm. and then the defense build-up plan all mm. together. And so they, in doing so, they emphasize that this is about counterattack capability. Now that's number one. Number two is uh, something that has been widely reported here, that is uh, Japan is going to uh, ratch up its uh, defense spending from the uh, current level of below 1% of its GDP to the 2% of its GDP by 2027. So basically doubling mm. its defense capability, mm. uh, defense expense. Mm. And uh, so with the current level of below 1% spending, they are being talked about as world's number two in terms of defense budget in the world, uh, def- uh, world's number nine, I'm sorry, world's number nine in terms of defense budget in the world. Mm. But uh, when they increase their defense spending to 2% of their GDP, they are going to become world's number three. So uh. for some Koreans, that is indeed a uh, you know cause of potential uh, concern and threat, I suppose. Mm. So then, with the division hard for us to ignore at home, how should Korea handle this internal division when there is a clear divide, as you said, maybe even a bipartisan view? Right, right. Uh, internal division that we have here in this country is a, it's a big issue here. Yeah. And uh, in thinking about those people who say it's time to close cooperate, closely cooperate with Japan for our own interest, to increase, maximize our capability to defend South Korea on the one hand and the other side saying, uh, we haven't forgotten the history. Japan has not fully apologized for what they did before 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so until the apology comes, uh, we cannot get engaged in cooperation with Japan. Otherwise, we will see the repetition of imperialism on this land once again. Uh, so that's the second group talking about it. Mm-hmm. In seeing this division, one of the, the points, some of the points that I keep in mind is that, uh, you know, in history, we do know things change over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, the things were different, countries were different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if we want to stick to one point of the history, then uh, my question would be, how far are we willing to go? Uh, are we willing to claim the entire Manchuria to to China? Because in the Korea time, we controlled Manchuria. Mm. So do we want to go that far mm. and say, uh, you know, Manchuria is ours? Mm. Then if not, then, then where do we throw the line? Mm. Uh, I, think, I think we just should keep in mind over history, things change and countries change. 
And we just uh, have to remind ourselves that country, uh, Japan, mm. just like Korea, is not one. Just like Korea is divided between two groups, mm. Japan is also divided between the two groups. And with that in mind, we might have to think about ways to uh, maximize our own interest. And, uh, you know, for the record, I, I do not agree with President Yoon on many different points. Mm. But uh, on the one point that I strongly agree with is when he said, uh, in this, the, these days, in our time, diplomacy relying on others' goodwill is bound to fail. Mm. Uh, I, I believe, I strongly support his belief there. Mm. And, you know, the diplomacy relying on others' goodwill uh, works when other countries are democracies. Mm. But as I mentioned before, there, we, we are dealing with countries uh, where they don't have democracy and where the political leaders are uh, bound to act tough and aggressively in order to create situations that will necessitate, uh, that will mobilize their people to support them to stay in power forever. Yeah, so, right. so in that case, goodwill-based on the uh, diplomacy doesn't work. <laughs> so the only way to go is to maximize your capability to defend yourself. And in this day and age, uh, working with those countries that share similar values, mm. uh, that's really good ways of maximizing your defense capabilities. So, so things change and there are different needs and then uh, mm. we will have to keep in mind that, that the countries of democracies are not one. They have divided divisions just like us. And then we have to think about what's the best way to maximize our own security and prosperity. Uh, maximizing what's good for us. Uh, yeah. We can't rely on goodwill-based democracy anymore. Then, then what does this mean? Where do we draw the line? How do we choose mm-hmm. what's best for our country. The conversation and unfortunately the disputes will continue but (laughs) thank you very much Professor Kim for clarifying. We'll speak to you again next week. Thank you. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.